0: Hey, it's great to see everybody here this morning. Um, I was talking with Karen yesterday and was just telling her I was going to introduce Wake today, and um, I was like, you know, the thing about Wake, a lot of great things about Wake, but um, it's funny because our lives kind of intersect in these funny ways. Um, Wake is a financial advisor at Choice Financial, so we work at different firms, and, um, and I get to see him once in a while at like community events and stuff, and we both work with Young Life, um, but I'm involved at Central, and he's involved at Savannah. And so we, we see each other kind of these funny intervals, and I'm always like, I always leave wanting to spend more time with Wake. He's just a very encouraging person, and um, and every time I get to spend a little time with you, I'm always like, I wish I could just hang out with Wake a little bit more. And um, But he's just a really good guy. He's married. Uh, his wife, Sarah, they have two kids, one on the way. And um, he's really... Um, just spent his life trying to know Jesus and make Jesus known to high school kids and uh, just a really great guy and I'm excited that he gets to share this morning and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So
1: Wakefield Hare. Thank you. Dave Hind. That was a pleasure to listen to that. We could just listen about Wake for the rest of the morning. <laughs> I'd be entertained. Uh, it's, it's great to be here and uh, thank you for the introduction Dave. I, I appreciate it. Uh, and Bob asked me, he's like, is it, are you willing to do this? I said, Absolutely. And started thinking about in my mind all that you know I'd want to share with so many people you know I know and don't know here at Wellspring. And it's like, you know, Bob's like, you can speak about whatever you want as long as it's about Second Thessalonians three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and don't spend too much time on that bivocational pastor part. Like you can keep that to yourself too. No. He didn't he didn't really say that. But I um, I feel like I'm swooping in and stealing some of the glory from Justin and Bob because I've, they've spent the past three months talking about 2 Thessalonians. And, and here I am getting to hit the last chapter, like where the, the culmination of Paul's teaching to the people in Thessalonica. So thank you, Bob and Justin, for setting the stage for me wherever Justin's at and letting me to come swoop in and just put the final uh, hammer on the nail. So this, this should be fun. But before I do that, it's, and as I've heard, I've, I've gotten to listen to, you know, I'm, I'm not a member of Wellspring, although my wife and I feel like what I call faux members of Wellspring because, number one, we get a chance to listen to the teachings a lot online, and which if you don't do that, I highly encourage you to do that, even though you get to hear it firsthand. To go through it again, like, and especially the second time you listen through one of those, it's really, it, it goes up a level, um, but also the fact that we know at least 50% of the people in these pews and know really well probably 25% of those, so we, we feel like we belong in that sense, but they've been tough teachings of what of what Justin and, and Bob have laid out the past few months. and. And so today's no different, and yet a lot of you don't know me very well, so I could imagine you get a challenge from a guy you don't know very well. It's like, who are you to tell me this? So Dave gave me a great framework there, but all all you need to know about me is that I I wouldn't be comfortable saying this, but I actually listened to Bob's sermon, um, Bob's teaching, the very first... First Thessalonians chapter 1, the introduction to it all. And in that teaching, he'd said, he'd pointed to where Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody remember that? I hope you do. And he said, are any of you asking people to follow you as you follow Christ? Like, are you up to that challenge? Why aren't you asking people to do that? And, and you know, a few people gave answers like, that sounds hard. That sounds tremendously frightening and and i admit those same things but that challenge that bob gave that morning i think was absolutely true to say why aren't we stepping up to the plate in leadership and saying i am going to seek christ and i'm going to follow him the best that i know how and i will admit i'm going to fail tremendously in doing it but i am going to give it all i have and in that i can 100% confident say Follow me as I try to follow Christ. So this morning, I can tell you I am one who's trying to follow Christ, fails regularly and in some ways fantastically. <laughs> but the, the heart is there. So this morning, take that for what it's worth to say as I challenge all of us together that it's, it's real and it's not coming from a place of you need, to, you need to do better. Like We all need to do better, not because... Not for our own sakes, but for the sake of the glory of the one who gave us life in the first place, and for the sake of he knows how he created us to be. So with that, I would like to take us to the scripture, and I'm going to read, read it all, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So I think we have it on slides, but it's also in your Bible, Second Thessalonians on page 828, on your pew Bibles, I believe. We'll read it from here. Second Thessalonians chapter three and starting in verse six, which says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So, in this part, honestly, are probably five different teachings in this scripture that Paul, as he finishes his letter. There's three things, though, I think are really relevant for us today in, in this time and place. Number one, which I really think is the main point of this conclusion of Paul's letter. How are we to interact with believers who are disobedient? How are we to interact with believers who are disobedient? Number two, how to blamelessly represent the kingdom and the gospel. And number three, a warning on the incredible dangers of idleness, of laziness, as some other interpretations of the Bible translate it. So, number one, how are we to interact with believers who are disobedient? Number two, how do we blamelessly represent the kingdom and the gospel? And number three, a warning on the incredible dangers of idleness. So we'll start with the, end, the last one there. <clears throat> it feels good sometimes to take it easy, to, to take a rest. And in fact, it's biblical to take rest. We see that as God created the earth and commanded a Sabbath. But there's a big difference between rest and idleness. Here, Paul is saying people aren't resting. People are idle. They're disruptive, as we read in Scripture. And I believe I have the definition of idle up here. Here's what idle is in the dictionary. To be idle is to be not active or in use. Or I especially like even the second definition. Without purpose or effect or pointless. So idleness and, and, and laziness are, have similarities, but I think idleness is a stronger word in some ways. Without purpose or effect. So as I know is custom here at Wellspring, I would like to, to hear a couple thoughts of why do you think idleness can be so dangerous? And why did Paul give his final instruction, his final stat, stamp addressing idleness? Why is that potentially so dangerous to us as believers and the Thessalonians? It gives the devil an end to our thoughts and our actions. She says it gives the devil an in to our thoughts and actions. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Phil. Yeah, he says, when we're idle, we, we tend, our, our natural thought processes to think about the things that aren't going well and instead of being grateful for the things that are going well. And so we tend to be grouchy. Thank you, Phil. Anybody else? Yes, sir, Justin. I hmm Yeah, Justin says, we serve a God that's on the move. And so if we're not sharing that ca- characteristic with him, how do we expect to kind of get to know God better and, and be a part of how he's moving? Last chance? Yes. Yeah. It makes you a burden to everybody else instead of blessing them. So that's, that's the teaching. So I'm finished. <laughs> Uh, That was really, I mean, that's fantastic. And I can see why Bob and Justin opened it up so much. You guys have a lot of good things to say. Uh, And that's, all of it is just, yes. You think about, why were we created in the first place? Why Why didn't God just enjoy the fact that he has Father, Son, Holy Spirit in paradise? And that's kind of a whoa, you know, question. But for him to even do his thing and create us, He didn't just do it on a whim. I'm convinced he's God. I I think he has a purpose. In fact, I know he has a purpose because he went out and we, we have the story of how that plays out now. You have a purpose. You were created for a purpose. And if you are idle without purpose, you are disobedient. In a way that is incredibly dangerous because of what was mentioned. And I keep thinking about the parable that Jesus said where he, he said, you know, there was a man who had an impure spirit, and, and the impure spirit got out. It left. It's like, all right, that sounds good. And the house, the man, his being, his psyche, his soul, was put in order, swept clean, he said, and put in order. So that sounds like a person that we want to be right, be like, right? But the impure spirit went about searching for a place to land and, and couldn't. And so what he did is he gathered Seven other impure spirits, or a host of other impure spirits, went back to that house, found it empty. Yes, it was neat, tidy, but it was empty. And they entered that house again, it said. They retook possession of the man's soul. The man was worse off than he was before. The idleness of not filling his life with purpose ended up taking to him place. We don't know what happened to that man in Jesus' parable, but it was bad, we know that. As we sit idle, we give evil a chance to take root in the hearts and the depths of our soul. A place that God has said, that's where I want to be. And yet because you're not moving, you're not, you're not producing a fruit, you are, giving the, you are swinging the door wide open to evil to take root. I think we often misinterpret on the spectrum of say we're either getting you know moving closer to God, um, or we're we're good we're in a place where we where we know what God's will is we're in a close relationship with Him or we're in a place where we maybe deny God and have want no part in that light and that's if that's the spectrum from right to left I think we we believe at times we can sit tight in the middle and say yeah I'd like to get over here but I know there's some there's just some reasons I'm not ready to move that far, but at least I'm not moving this direction, right? And, and we say, well, we'll kind of sit tight till we, maybe till I have kids, or maybe till I retire. Then I'll, you know, I'll feel better about not having to go to work, and then I'll move over here. But I think what the lie and the deception is, is to say that we can sit still. What Justin said, God's nature and his stamp on creation is that everything is in motion, everything is in motion and when we look at the the earth the planet the stars the universes all in constant motion and i believe that's a characteristic of our god and in that i believe in our own pursuit of righteousness through christ if we are not in motion seeking continually to get after and get after him and away from our idleness if we don't do that i'm afraid we are slipping that there isn't a state of just, I'm sitting still, I'm good, I'm good here. It's Like, no, you are slipping, and it's probably a far faster slippery slope than you imagine. So be careful, church. Be very careful of idleness. And this is hard, but I know the number one public enemy of my own idleness is right here. How many hours are we spending looking at our phone screens and let me be the first to say, my smartphone is amoral, meaning it is neither good or evil. However, what God, I believe God has created to be used for good, can be used for evil. And in fact, most of the time probably is. Not necessarily because, oh, there's not pornography on this phone, or I'm not you know, shooting hateful texts to anybody, but the social media, games, or even really time spent in, in in relationship that's not necessarily fruitful or productive, all idleness. And I know probably for females it's even worse for social media, but guys, that doesn't mean there's not demons in our closet as well. I, I feel like I can say this because I fight it every day, but video games, sports, how much of that time is idleness when you really consider it you say, oh, it's, it's just a Sunday afternoon and it's the Chiefs or whoever. Or, you know, we're just going, you know, to play baseball with the fellas. Five hours later, you come home to your family. Like, if they're, and, and that's not what, what's going on with the, base, the, the kids. That's for a purpose. There's a big difference there because we see the relational fruit from that. But when it's for no other purpose than to serve myself and to serve my own desires, like we got a question, is there a fruit? Is there a point? It said pointless. Is there a purpose besides serving myself? You have to ask yourself that. And here's the thing, and I'd like you to do. It's hard to ask yourself that, so I challenge you to ask, to to give someone permission to ask of you, or, or for you to ask them, how do you see idleness in my life? How do you see idleness in my life? And in fact, if that person's there, go ahead and look at them and give them a wink, saying, I'm going to ask you that later. You? Like, do that, because it's that important. Because we can leave here and, and, and leave unchanged, but if you want to allow someone to challenge you, to say, okay, I realize idleness is dangerous enough, I need to change. I need to get, the, get out of this place I'm in. Give someone permission to be honest with you about that. So that's, I feel like, one of Paul's kind of secondary points in this letter. It's just saying, look, idleness is dangerous. And it's eating away at the foundation of your faith. The second is how to blamelessly represent the kingdom and the gospel. So this is Paul, another one of Paul's examples of saying, I want to follow, I want to be like that guy because he's following Christ. And what do we see that Paul did when he was with the Thessalonians? He mentioned it before in his first letter, but he brings it up here at the end again, saying, Okay, those of you who are your idol. Look what I've done. Look what me and my partners have done. As we ministered, as we gave you the truth of Christ, the beautiful message, we didn't say, Oh, we've worked so hard during the day just spouting out truth, and now you know, we're, we're ready for our supper. And in our, our, you know, good night, kiss and whatever. So no, we worked and we labored and we toiled to be sure that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. It says, I was going to find those verses in particular. Here is what Paul says. On the contrary. So we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. This is verse 8. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So here we have Christianity in, in our culture that's rich. You know, we have a rich culture. And I'm very thankful for that, and I think, it's got a, I think it has a purpose. But what's happened in this culture, where, where America has such this unique culture of Christianity, and the church has this, you know, it's, its own unique persona that you don't see in other parts of the world, or so I've been told or read about. And that, that uniqueness of it has opened it up for exploit. And we all know it, um, whether it's exploitation for money, the Christian economy... Is huge, and that's why we see so many Christian fish on business signs all around. The um, exploitation for fame, perhaps, or notoriety. Anybody familiar with the name Jessica Simpson? You're like, oh, yes, I know who she is, but I'm not gonna admit it. Jessica Simpson, I remember when she first hit the scene, she started out as a Christian artist, and, and her dad and her say, oh yeah, we have a faith, but the first chance she got, to jump ship and, and produce a secular album, she was gone. And next thing you know, she's wearing Daisy Dukes and Dukes of Hazzard. And, and that's just a small example, though, of I, I've seen a lot of other bands say, oh yeah, we'll break in because the competition in the Christian industry is, is far less than what it is if you want to get a major studio contract. It's happened. It happens every year. One thing I think... the way the church is exploited by most of us is for community, for friendships. How many times or how many people did I know when I went to school at Northwest Missouri State University and they were a tight part of our group, of our community that we had there. And at the time, you're like, oh man, you know, they they just look like they had a faith that was worth following again. And then you touch base a few years later and see, you know, after you, after you part ways and see there's no fruit left. In fact, it's a dry type of desert life that they're living now. And, and you wonder what went wrong and you start to look back. And you think, well, there were some signs that they weren't worshiping the creator. They were worshiping the friendships that being a part of Campus Crusade for Christ got them. Which I, isn't bad in itself. I am all for luring people into our community saying, look, we have fun or loving people, even if you don't believe in this Christ that we know yet. But the problem, if that doesn't ultimately turn into an ownership of that belief in the Savior, it's probably going to end not well. <clears throat> so the church has been exploited. In that, I think, is what we find of why Paul did what he did, as saying, look, I have every right to say, I'm coming here to spread the gospel. My, What I do best is preach the good news. And so I'm going to focus all my attention on that. Every other need I have, I expect someone else to fulfill for me. Get that? I I'm busy doing what's most important. So you guys need to take care of the rest. That was not what Paul did. He said, look, I'm going to... I'm going to work as hard as I can to spread the truth that I know is real and good. However, because I don't want to give anyone any doubt about why I'm doing this and who I am, I'm going to work my buns off in the evenings too. I'm going to lay it all on the line to make sure you know that this message is worth all of that. That's really hard to do, <laughs> to to not want to receive something in return. But Paul's example is just that. It's saying, I'm going to live above reproach. You think I'm doing this for the money? I'm not even getting paid. You think I'm doing this for the friendships? I'm probably going to be hated by a good portion of my friends when this is all said and done. You think I'm doing this for safety and good feelings? Well, we see later you know, from Paul about all he had to endure. He was saying, I'm leaving nothing to doubt of saying, I'm doing this for one reason and one reason alone, to give glory where glory is due. So that's, that's what I see there. Um, the, I think it's said best in 1 Corinthians, and I think that slide is up there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 10. And it's a pretty small print. I'll read it from here. 10, 23. Says this, I, this is Paul again, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other's person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And it's funny, because in the next verse, he again says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So that is a summation of why why Paul? didn't you, why didn't you do what you had a right to do, collect help from those you were trying to reach when you're you're speaking to the Thessalonians? It's because that would have taken glory away from God. So if it meant working a hard, tough schedule, that's what he was going to do. What you do in your ministry is you reach out from whatever perspective, whether Young Life, Edison Elementary, and the many other places I know you guys are involved do it for the glory of God. Because if you do it for any other reason, you've received your reward, the Bible says. And then the third point we talked about, how are we to interact with disobedient believers? To me, this is the toughest of the three. Uh, because it's... Because honestly, I've, I've experienced this, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, but understanding that this command that Paul gives in, in this part of the letters of the Thessalonians is for believers. It's an important distinction, I think, to make. How you interact with non-believers of Christ, people who, who don't understand the truth yet, and how you react to believers, I think is important. If you could pull up the slides here, <clears throat> I want to I look particularly at what are these commands that he's given this is the beginning of the scripture we read. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. And go ahead and hit the next one for me too. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Thank you for that. So you see some of the commands. Keep away. Take special note. Don't associate with. Shame them. And then there was another one I didn't include in there. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Bob talked a few weeks ago about pain and saying he thinks we often get it wrong on how we interpret pain. That here, again, we often strive to say, whatever I have to do to not experience pain, let's do that. You know, if I need to meet with my doctor every two months or three months, let's do that to prevent me from getting sick in the future. If, you know, if I have to... Buckle my seatbelt to make sure I'm safe in my car. Let's do that to prevent pain. And I'm all for preventing pain. I, it's probably my biggest fear, even more than death, is pain. But pain is real, and there's just some, some things we can't hide from. And in that, Bob was saying that, are we often not giving a chance for pain to produce the fruit God meant it to? God created a world that was to be free of pain that was spoiled fairly quickly. And so now what I believe God has done is he says the pain that's a part of the curse, watch how I use it for my glory. Watch what I can do with it. But instead, what I so often do and what I think we as a church do is we we try to limit pain and therefore we limit the productive